Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of The Break. I'm Father Roderick, and today we have a whole slew of topics to talk about. There is some surprising Star Wars news. We're going to talk about the DCU reboot that is imminent, and we'll talk about science fiction and technology, audiobook technology, and much, much more. I'm happy to present you this episode thanks to the support of my patrons, this community of supporters, which only is about like a few percent of all the people that listen to this show. So if you are enjoying what I do and you want to help out um, and, and, and do something in return, then by all means, take a look at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. Sign up to be a patron. You can determine your own micropayment per month. It starts at 250 like it's two and a half bucks. Uh, more or less, according to your currency, of course. But that's all, and then you get access to all the extra perks, access to the to the um, the Discord server. But there is even more for those of you that are able to support me on a slightly higher tier. Uh, just take a look at the page on Patreon at Father Roderick, and uh, you'll be able to to see if uh, if there's something there that interests you. I would really like to expand the group of patrons to make it um, to make the, the financial underpinnings of what I do a little bit more solid. Uh, I used to work in television and that would bring in a lot of the finances for to be able to enable me to do this kind of work, but that is no longer the case. And so I really depend on my patrons. And so if you're one of those, what is it, 95% of listeners that are not contributing but you still like what I do and you have it in your means to give me a little bit of support, I would be super thankful if you could. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. A first step in a larger world is always a bit daunting, I have to say. Um... I've, I've been traveling quite a bit uh, in, in my life on vacations, but also um, most of the traveling was linked to the media work that I, that I did. Um, and then, of course, with the pandemic, I didn't travel at all. And it's only last year in April that I did a, 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 my first big trip in, in three years to the United States. Uh, that was a long, an outstanding invitation to uh, to join friends over at the Star Wars celebration in Anaheim, and uh, now that traveling is again a little bit easier, I'm hoping to do a bit more traveling this year. And the first trip that I am hoping to do is to go to the UK, to London to be more precise, and maybe also to Leicester and some other places. Um, but the main reason is the Star Wars celebration that is held there in, in the center of London um, in April, the beginning of April. And uh, just as I did last year, I want to take my camera there and make a documentary about what, what moves these Star Wars fans and, um, and, and about this whole phenomenon of, of modern fandom around modern mythology. That, that always fascinates me as a biblical scholar and, and philosopher and theologian. Um, I'm so intrigued to see what's happening in places where that in, in a certain way are a continuation of what the church has done for 2,000 years, and that is to tell moral stories that help you, that guide you in your decisions. And 
offer you sometimes a mirror of your own life, your own real life. Um, and it also has the, the story of the stories that we tell each other um, have a capacity to to group people together, to give them common values. And, and that, I think, is super important for our societies, for our cultures, and also important for our faith. We should never keep... Uh, we, we should always keep in mind that that is the core foundation of our faith. It's the Bible. It's, it's God who tells his own story to us in many different moments in, in history. And the Bible is a collection of all those adventures with God. And uh, we still read those stories today. and They still have relevance. And a lot of the elements in those biblical stories are still part of modern mythology, like Star Wars or, or Tolkien's works or so many other uh, stories. So um, yesterday evening, I sat together with uh, Michiel, and we started to plan out a little bit how I who lives in Leicester in uh, in, the, in the UK, um, and he's been over here in in Europe uh, multiple times, um, and just recently visited me uh, here in in Benicom. and now I'm visiting his place, uh, and and it's really really helpful to have someone who is a who knows the the situation. For me, that part of the UK is completely unknown. I've been to Scotland. I've been to Ireland. Uh, Northern Ireland, but that whole underbelly of of the UK I've never been to, and a city like London, it's it's huge, and uh, I'm always a bit, uh, I don't know, anxious about going to such a big place without knowing anyone there, and so we're figuring out how to get there. I'll, I'll probably travel by by boat. I've done that once before when I traveled to Newcastle to uh, to film a, a documentary series in Scotland, which was amazing. Um, but there's also a boat that goes to um, to Harwich, and then from there, somehow, <laughs> with an incredible detour, I'll, I'll be able to go to Leicester. Um, but according to Michiel, uh, public transport in the UK is not the same as it is in the Netherlands. So uh, I'm very glad to have someone who can uh, help me figure all this stuff out. I still have a couple of weeks left. So I'll be staying in London for five nights, and six days. Um, but the, of course, the first and the last day are also the days of arrival and departure. So I don't have that much time around the, the events of the Star Wars celebration to go explore London. But this is kind of like a first, first contact uh, mission. So I, I just want to go there for the Star Wars celebration. And then uh, maybe even this year, I will return just to go explore London and go to the Harry Potter exposition and uh, you know, see all the, the highlights of that city. I feel like if I would add that to my journey, it, it would be too much. It would be too intense. I have to focus on one thing, and that's going to be Star Wars. Now, it also happens to be Holy Week, which is uh, quite extraordinary that I'm still able to travel during Holy Week. Of course, the reason being that I am an assistant here in the parish, but I'm not the only priest. So uh, the, uh, the pastoral team has two priests, and, the, and there are a few uh, older assistants who will take care of the celebrations so that I can be in London. And I've already found a Catholic church, and it's like literally on the other side of the street of my hotel. I'm, I have a hotel a cheap hotel, like very far on the outskirts of, of London. Thankfully, there is a good, you know, bus plus underground uh, connection to the exposition center where the Star Wars celebration is. So that's about a little more than half an hour by uh, public transport. So that's actually 
quite feasible. In Rome, oftentimes, I have to travel more in order to get to the Vatican, for instance. Um, the advantage is I, 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 I have a very uh, cheap hotel. I mean, it's a good hotel. It's a three-star hotel, but I booked it like very, very early. And since it's so remote, for most people, they want to be in the center of London. Uh, I, I, I pay what is it, 300 pounds for five nights, which is like really cheap for a city like London. Even for, for Rome, that would be considered to be super low budget. So I'm, I'm happy to have a place there to stay. And then, uh, of course, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, uh, to travel to Leicester, maybe some other places as well. Um, and as I mentioned, this is just first contact. I can't wait to explore more. I, I still dream of filming... Uh, part of like a Tolkien C.S. Lewis kind of documentary. Um, and for that, of course, I would need to schedule an entire trip just for that. But to tell the story of these two friends, that one Catholic, one a convert to Protestantism, and to uh, see how their faith uh, influenced what they wrote and why they wrote um, and how they told their stories, I think that's... That would that would be fantastic material for for a documentary series. So um, I think I need to go to Oxford for that and some other places where uh, where these guys have been. Anyway, all that is um, hopefully um, in 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 the books for later this year. Uh, I also really would like to go back to Paris. Um, maybe not this year, although you never know. I do have some friends in Paris and I haven't been there in a long, long time. I'm, I'm so longing to be able to speak French again. I, I mean, for those of you that don't know me that well, I've lived um, for five years from the age of 18 to the age of 23 in the French part of Belgium in an international seminary where lots of students were from French-speaking countries and from France itself. And so... Uh, since for f at that at that age you, you can still absorb a language and it becomes almost a native language um and I, it's it's for me to me it's one of the most beautiful languages in the world the pronunciation the the words the vocabulary it's all so it's it's a it's a fantastic beautiful language and i miss it so much because here everybody speaks english in the netherlands but there are not that many people that speak French anymore. And there are a few expats, of course, from France that live here. And every once in a while, you'll encounter someone. But among my friends, I don't have anyone that I can speak French with. And, and so from time to time, I like to go to France. This year, we'll go, we'll go to Brittany on vacation. So I'm super excited about that because uh, uh, that will uh, allow me to be in, in France at least for about 10, 12 days. Um, but then maybe I'll add Paris to uh, to my roster. Maybe even not just visit Paris as a city, but also go to Disneyland Paris. Why not? Um, and uh, I, I'm also eager to see how the work is prog uh, making progress on uh, on the Notre Dame Cathedral uh, that went up in flames, of course, five years ago or a little less than five years, I just read this morning that they are counting on reopening the entire cathedral at the end of 2024, so next, the end of next year. So what Macron said when 
the fire was there and everybody said, you're crazy, that's impossible. He said, you know, we're going to rebuild the cathedral because it's actually state property, right? All the churches in, in France are not owned by the church, they're owned by the state. So he said, we're going to rebuild this in five years. And people said, that's impossible. I mean, look at the damage. The entire roof is gone. Uh, it took more than a century to build the Notre Dame Cathedral, and you say you're going to rebuild it in five years? That is just French her, her, hyperbole. But it wasn't. They're actually pulling it off. So uh, I, I, I would love to, maybe, now that I think of it, Maybe I could even do uh, another documentary about the rebuilding since that's currently going on. I know that, that some other companies have already done that. But maybe I can tell like the faith element of it, you know, for the maybe I can go follow the priests that, that work there, or maybe talk to the bishop and you know, because it's it's not just a building, it's also a symbol of something. And huh, now that I think of it. That would be a very cool topic for, for a documentary. Because I can, I can do something that's not just the building and the rebuilding and the restoration. I can tell the, the impact of that fire on faith and of what this cathedral and this holy sacred place means for the faithful, for the Catholics in, in Paris. Yeah. Okay, let me think about that. Oh, this is a very bad sign. When I get crazy ideas during a podcast <laughs> some people that know me very well they're going like oh no 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 write it down but don't go and book your trip to paris yet let's just first think about this a little bit anyway uh let's move on to the world of movies <laughs> not like movies they're predictable like the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and darth vader is luke's father not liking movies is like not liking puppies they're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. Now I'm going to give it to you. Everybody is waiting for Disney to announce a new Star Wars movie at the Star Wars Celebration in London. We've been hearing these stories about pre-production efforts ongoing for at least four or five movies. And every time there was like a short interview with Kathleen Kennedy and she said, oh, we're working with Patty Jenkins and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be called Rogue Squadron. We think she's perfect for that like one story movie. It's not going to be like another trilogy. And then, of course, we really want to work again with some of the... Uh, uh, with the older directors, we want to involve uh, Kevin Feige. There's, there's been talks about uh, Feige, who, of course, is is at the helm of the whole Marvel mega saga. They're churning out movies, actually, a little bit too much, I think, right now. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about Wakanda in a minute. But um, they're, they're, he's so hard at work on the Marvel mythology but he also had an idea for a Star Wars movie, so he wanted to direct one and write one. And for years we've been hearing about that project. And then there was also Ka uh, Taika Waititi, of course, a huge Star Wars fan himself. Uh, stars is the IG-11 droid in The Mandalorian. Maybe even makes a return uh, at the end, in, you know, in, in this uh, third season of The Mandalorian. Um, and he was said to be writing a Star Wars movie that was going to be very different in tone, probably more humor involved. 
Um, and according to the latest rumors, he also wanted to star in that movie. So not just write and direct it, but also play a substantial role in that movie. Um, hmm. Don't know what to think of that. I mean, I'm, I'm a... I'm a fan of Taika Waititi. I love a lot of the stuff that he's done. But let's let's be honest, not every movie that he did was a success. The the last uh, Thor movie, I thought was kind of a bit weak. It wasn't that funny. It it somehow it felt like the magic was not there, and so I don't know. I th- still think he's a very accomplished uh, uh, writer and director. And maybe because this is Star Wars and he loves Star Wars. Um, you know, I shouldn't be worried about that. But we haven't heard anything about what that movie would be about. And then the more recent uh, piece of, of news, this was not just a rumor, was that Damon Lindelof, one of the creators of, of Lost, and one of the, actually he was one of the two showrunners uh, of, of Lost, was now writing a script for another standalone Star Wars movie that would take place after the sequels. And according to new rumors, may even feature characters from the sequel trilogy. And it wouldn't be like another trilogy. It would be standalone story. And it would be directed by one of the female directors of Miss Marvel, uh, the television series. I think the fourth episode of Miss Marvel was directed by her. And apparently that was a, a, a very good uh, collaboration at the time with Disney, and so um, she would direct that Star Wars movie. Now, just today I read that apparently uh, Variety has heard that two of those movies that I just mentioned are shelved. And it is, first of all, again, Patty Jenkins' Star Wars movie, Rogue Squadron. It would be this story about, you know, X-Wing fighter pilots, uh, like Top Gun in space in, in the Star Wars universe. She was, they even did like a teaser trailer for that where she says how excited she is to work on that. But then we heard that uh, that was shelved um, about a year ago. And then all of a sudden there were rumors, no, 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 it's not shelved. She's coming back. She's actually, you know, she, she has said, stated herself that she's still working on the story and she hopes to make it one day. But apparently it's, Again, shelved. And not anytime soon. I don't think it's completely cancelled, but uh, it's not It's not for, for the near future. And so is the whole project that Kevin Feige was working on. That movie, too, is now shelved. There's no... Disney has no plans to actually produce that movie. And I think the reason there is, of course, obviously that Feige is so busy with the Marvel uh, stories and, and, and the ongoing movies. There are like 12 movies in development right now for Marvel. And then in, in addition to that, all, all the TV shows. And of course, I think Marvel um, maybe needs a little bit extra of extra care. They've been uh, churning out movies almost uh, uh, like three or four per year. And it, it, and it starts to weigh on on the franchise. It's too much and the quality isn't there anymore. And so I can understand that Feige may be reading the reviews of the last two movies that came out, the uh, Ant-Man movie and uh, also Wakanda Forever, um, that he, he, he knows that, well, there's just no time to do Star Wars on the side. Marvel needs his full attention. 
So um, I was a bit disappointed because it, I feel like Star Wars is still searching for its for its future. They're doing such a great job with with Andor, with the Mandalorian. I just saw did a a, a watch party of the second episode of the Mandalorian, this the third season, and it was fantastic. One of the best Star Wars episodes I've se- seen so far. It, it was it was mind blowingly good. Um, so they know how to do te- television. They know how to do Star Wars on TV. What about the theatrical movies? What is so hard is it just because they're afraid they're going to have another clunker it's going to be another like solo or i, I don't know it's it, it it baffles me and disney must know how much a tentpole movie every once in a while is important for the franchise and for the fan base so i'm still hoping that um, in april we will get a surprise announcement of a new star wars movie I think that would get everybody excited. If it's just new TV shows, uh, they told us that we would get another movie, I think, was it in two, 2025 or 2024, maybe even next year? I, I doubt it, though. I mean, with all the production and, and, and post-production, I, I, I prefer that they take their time, but at the same time, we know that they're going to save on on television productions they need to because they're not making money with disney plus right now and so they've already kind of hinted at at um uh slowing down the production on the television side so if there if there's not as much star wars as there is right now in the in the near future we need something to, we need a carrot at the end of a stick to keep us excited so here's hoping that we will get to hear more preferably even a trailer or, um, or just a teaser trailer. I don't care. Just give us anything that we can look forward to in the near future. Speaking of big franchises, of course, there was a lot of upheaval about uh, the reboot of the DC Universe by James Gunn. James Gunn, who was previously working for Marvel, of course, um, did the whole uh, Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy, um, is now contracted. He had already worked together with... Uh, with um, uh, Warner on um, on on DC movies and and series, and now he's uh, going to be the the basically what Kevin Feige is doing for Star Wars. He's going to do that for uh, the DC universe. Um, apparently, the Flash movie is going to be the linking pin story wise. That's a multiverse, another multiverse movie. It's like all the rage right now, <laughs> and that will allow them to maintain a certain kind of continuity, but at the same time, go to a different timeline, go to a different time, uh, and and a, a different version of the DC universe, and start anew. So it's a bit like the Kelvin timeline in, in Star Trek. By the way, I just saw another trailer for The Flash, and I have to say, I'm, I am excited about that movie. It looks really good. I'm still not a fan of Ezra Miller, uh, as the titular character, of course, or the actor who plays the titular character. Um, but I can also see why they still wanted to bring this movie out uh, because the whole thing was already filmed before a lot of the scandals around Ezra Miller started to uh, to cause so much concern. 
And so they could either cancel the whole thing or rework it in such a way that it would be accepted as, you know, like the vital movie you have to see to understand how we get from this this Schneider verse to the 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 James Gunn verse. Um, so, but the trailer looks really cool, and they've had so much time to work on this movie. I think it's going to be great. So it's it, one of the few superhero movies that I would like that I'm definitely going to see as soon as it comes out in theaters. Uh, I I don't care for Aquaman, by the way. That the, even the first movie, I know a lot of you loved it. I thought it was just so bad. <laughs> I just couldn't stand it. It was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just went on and on and on. It was like a three-hour-plus movie. It was, no, not my thing. Anyway, um, let's talk um, about Wakanda Forever. Um, I hadn't watched it when it was in theaters. Uh, and it's now on Disney+, Plus, so I, I finally was able to see it. And I already heard a lot of people saying, you know, it's not, it's not bad, but it's not very good either. It's... Um, but, you know, I was like, I liked the first Black Panther movie. And, of course, I was just as shocked as anyone else about the sudden death, of course, of uh, Bozeman, uh, who, who played the Black Panther. And I want to see how they continue the legacy of the Black Panther uh, in this new movie. And so, uh, I... You know, I, I, I didn't immediately trust all the negative reviews. People saying, "Oh, it's so boring. It's really, f it's not not worth your time, and it's slow and everything." Um, I was like, "Okay, let's 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 go in without any preconceived ideas. Let's see what it is." And at first, I was like, mm, "You know, this is not as bad as I thought it would be." But then I started to see what the critics meant. Y you know, it's the thing is. What I think hampers this movie is that it is clearly constructed as a, an homage to Bozeman, to the original Black Panther. And it, it integrates the death of the Black Panther into the story. And so, you know, there's a lot of coming to terms with death. Um, and then they add like an external threat to the future of Wakanda. So everybody needs to step up. It's not just this one, you know, Black Panther that's going to save the day. In a certain way, everybody needs to pick up the, the legacy of the original Black Panther. So the, I, I totally understand the idea. The thing is, when it was conceived, when it was written, when it was filmed, everybody was still mourning. The wound was very fresh. And so the movie, in the way it was edited... Um, and scored even the music. It's all very uh, mournful and very sad. And there are some action scenes, but they feel a bit obligatory. Like, oh well, you know, we've been we've been talking about the death of Black Panther uh, for for a while now. We need to have a chase. Oh, well, let's do a chase. And then you have like a very generic chase with a motorbike and a car, and then some flying ship or whatever and it's all taking place by night and you know that when they do action scenes at night it's because they didn't want to invest the budget it's much easier to do something to make something that looks cool by night when there's a lot of cgi involved than if you film it during the day so that was again a telltale moment where i was like oh yep they've been 
they've been reducing costs here. And it was it felt so generic. And it's like the entire movie. It's not bad. You know, I like some of those characters. Uh, but a lot of the action is hampered by these long scenes of reflection. And it's supposed to be, you know, med- meditative. But it's been a while since the actor died. It's it's We've had time to process this. And it's almost as if the movie forces us to go back to that how we felt like a few weeks after we heard that he that the actor died um and the shock and to re-experience that and you know what at one point you're kind of past that point and it doesn't work that well anymore um so i think that that is maybe the biggest issue that i have with wakanda forever i think in the long run especially if it, if they do a, a third uh, black panther movie um Maybe we'll will our our overall opinion about this movie will be a bit milder. Um, I still feel like it would have been better if they would have shortened it with I don't know, just cut out twenty more minutes, um, and then especially the generic stuff, um, like the whole funeral procession. There's just so much. Oh, it was so slow and so like, okay, yeah, it's in an African country, so we need to have drums and we need to have all the a little bit the tropes and the cliches. And it was like, you know what, that was what made the first Black Panther movie so original was that it, it, it showed the not the conventional African cliches. It it, it showed the power of uh, of the people of that continent. And the power of their of their culture and their their own religious ideas and the their ideas about the hereafter and that sort of stuff and it it was it felt fresh and it felt strong and here it's just like okay let's just open a box of tropes because that everybody expects us to do this and I don't know yeah like I mean it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be but it was not must see material I'm hearing the same kind of stuff about Ant Man it's entertaining. It's a lot of CGI because, of course, it almost exclusively takes place in that, what is it, microverse or whatever it's called. And so, um, but it's it's not essential viewing. They're trying to set up this big new villain, which was introduced in Loki. That honestly didn't convince me that much in, in at the end of Loki. I, I was a bit underwhelmed. Um, maybe that's one reason for me to, to see this movie. But again... I don't feel like I have to watch this in theaters. I can probably just enjoy it as much once it uh, it comes to to Disney Plus. Avatar, to wrap things up, is still I'm on the fence. I know that that movie is probably a lot better in a theater because of the vistas and the 3D and everything, and that's something you cannot replicate in your living room. On the other hand, I'm I'm a little bit not looking forward to sitting more than three hours in a, in a movie theater. Um, I'm still pretty tired, and it's especially if it's like visually super overwhelming. I don't know if I can handle it. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to miss it when it's in theaters. You know, I've not seen that they brought out the 4K version of Titanic here in Dutch theaters. I know that in the U- in the US, I think you can you can watch it. It's like. Um, like an anniversary edition, I would probably go see it because I love that movie. I've seen it more times than I dare to admit. Um, so 
if I can stomach three three and a half hours of Titanic, maybe I should go and watch Avatar: The Way of the Water. Oh well, <laughs> let me know what you think. <laughs> Catholics rock. It's time for another episode of The Peculiar Bunch. This is the segment in the show where I answer your questions about Catholics. Things you never dare to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And we're uh, on our way to the halfway point in the time of Lent. And in the liturgy, there's a very strange gospel reading. Man... You guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. So, Lent started for Catholics on Ash Wednesday, and it will uh, end on uh, the eve of Holy Thursday, uh, or actually on Holy Thursday itself. Holy Thursday is no longer part of Lent. Um, so that's about 40 days, a little bit more, um, of, of a time of... Um, Focusing more on on penance, on the theme of suffering, on the sacrifice that Jesus brought, and maybe add our own sacrifices to that, and uh, be more focused on prayer, on almsgiving, and on uh, oh, <laughs> on fasting. <laughs> I was like, what's that? What was that third thing? It's the thing that I don't mention that I don't want to think about too much because uh, who likes fasting? I don't. <laughs> but that's the point, right? Um, so what you would think that in Catholic liturgy, every Sunday during Lent, you would hear these stories about, you know, the, the, the suffering of Jesus and the way of the cross and maybe some other biblical stories that are about that. And then in the second week, second Sunday, so this past Sunday, there was this, like, gospel story that seems so out of, out of tune with the rest of, the, of Lent. It's the story where Jesus takes uh, three of his friends— to up on the, on the mountain where he is experiencing what we are now calling the transfiguration so he changes his appearance changes his, there is light shining through him or his face is radiant and uh, there is an apparition there of two almost mythical figures of the old testament back then that was just the bible you know there was no new testament people were living the new testament and it's the figure of moses who is very much uh, like an archetype of a Messiah figure because he freed the people from Israel from the grasp of the Pharaoh. And then there is Elijah. There's another kind of Messiah-type prophet that was even whispered to or witnessed to, to go up to heaven, you know, in a flaming chariot or something like that. So, so it's like... Mm. They they were two figures that people have always considered to be kind of precursors to the Messiah. And the fact that they are appearing next to Jesus on the left and on the right on that mountain is a clear sign that, that you know, Jesus is the fulfillment of what these two great figures of the biblical past um, were, were pointing towards and are now actually actively talking to. And then there's the famous passage where Peter... Uh, who is there with John and Jacob, he says, it's great to be here. Let's stay here. Let's, let, let us build three tents for the three of you, and, you know, let's, let's just stay here forever. This is, this is amazing. Um, 
you got to keep in mind that for for Peter, um, this is the most spectacular revelation of the divinity of Christ that he had already witnessed in a more muted form in the wonders that Jesus did, the miracles, the times that Jesus walked on water, etc. But but to have this vision of the Son of God, of the the of Christ, so the the anointed one up there on the mountain where the rest of your life is very far away. It must have been a transformative experience. So no wonder he wants to stay there. It's like when I am, I don't know, in the Vatican, and I was like, oh, I wish I could live here. I love it here. <laughs> and, uh, or in, 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 in Disneyland, you know, when I f- saw Batu with my own eyes last year and I was standing next to the Millennium Falcon and it was just, the thing is there. Like the first time in my life I see the Millennium Falcon for real. I was like, I I could live here. When I was visiting the the Hobbit set in Matamata where they filmed The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, I was wondering wondering about there, I talked about this last week in in, in the episode of The Walk, and I've only been there for a couple of hours, but I wanted to stay there for the rest of my life. I was like, I, I could live here. Just give me one of those hobbit holes. I will work for free. I'll do anything you want. <laughs> as long as I, I can stay here. That, that's what Peter must have felt. But the thing that strikes me is why do we read about that particular experience in Lent, during Lent? What has this to do with suffering? Well, the clue is in the in the second part of that story, it's uh, the moment that Peter proposes to stay there, there's a, this, this cloud full of light that covers them. Well, normally a cloud would cast a shadow. This cloud is full of light. So it's kind of a symbolic appearance of, of God. The, uh, God. You can't see God, right? Nobody has ever seen God. Um, and so... Uh, the cloud kind of symbolizes that because the cloud can shield you from you know, when you're in a cloud you don't see anything anymore it's just mist all around so that's it's a very powerful uh, element here in the story and then God's voice is heard in the cloud and says listen this is my son I love him listen to him and so God focuses or, or, or affirms what they've already seen with their eyes this is my son this is not just some bloke from Nazareth and a son of a carpenter. No, this is my son. This, this is my divine son. Just listen to him. Do what he says. And what does Jesus say once the cloud is gone and Moses and Elijah are gone? Is like, don't be afraid. I love that. It's the first thing that Jesus tells them. When, when God says, listen to Jesus and what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid. And why does he say don't be afraid? It's not just because they're like scared of all the special effects there on that mountain. No. What Jesus says there when he says don't be afraid is pointing forward to what's about to happen once they go down the mountain. Because this is the final stop before they will travel to Jerusalem where all that scary stuff is going to happen to Jesus, who they just saw, the Son of God. And yet that Son of God that they saw in all his splendor will be humiliated, will be 
beaten up and, and tortured and even killed in the most gruesome way. And Jesus says to his friends that are about to witness that, all that suffering, don't be afraid. And they heard God telling them, listen, really hear what Jesus tells you. It's an admonition. Don't be afraid. No matter what's going to happen, don't be afraid. Keep this image that, that was granted to you of, of the light of God himself shining through Jesus. Keep, hold on to that image in dark times where all the light will seem to be gone. Now, And that, if you see that dynamic in this story in the 17th chapter of Matthew, I think it was Matthew, right? Anyway, it's, it's, it's right before Jesus' suffering begins. Then it starts to make sense of why we are reading that story as well, because it's an admonition for us. We too, just like Peter and Je John and Jacob, we're trying to be followers of Jesus. We, we, we'd like to learn from him, right? Even if we're maybe not disciples or, or like official church members, but I think most of us will agree that Jesus has a lot to teach us, even to people that don't believe, right? Um, so this message, don't be afraid, is also for all of us. And it's an encouragement that this time of Lent reminds you of how fragile you are, um, how fragile we all are. If the Son of God can die on a cross, you know, it's, it, we too... Um, as children of God, uh, can, can and will die and will suffer. There's no life without a cross. But we shouldn't be afraid. We should always keep our eyes focused on Jesus and listen to him and try to, to hold on to his words. He will pull us through. through. And, and if, I could, if I may expand upon this idea, is this is why... I hope that in your own walk of faith, wherever you are in that process, I don't know all of you, you know, personally, but I know enough of you pretty well to know that some of you are, you know, cradle Catholics, have always gone to church, faith is like breathing to you. But I also know that some of you are much more, you know, farther away and don't really know what to think about faith or maybe you believe in God but you have huge problems with the church and the way the church is operating in the world um, you may believe in God and to a certain extent also in, in Jesus but at the same time you wouldn't call yourself a Christian maybe you're following uh, the, the, the Mormon faith or um, another religious branch i know that i have some jewish listeners i've got some people that are uh uh for, for them islam is their is their faith and what they were brought up with so but what is true for all of us is that life can be pretty scary every once in a while and when you're scared you try to find an anchor you try to find someone to hold on to but it's very hard to find God in the midst of suffering and in the midst of darkness if you haven't had any like strong experiences before. This is why I think you should 
consider adding some some destinations to your to your bucket list or to your to-do list or to-go list. You know, travel destinations. For me, for instance, walking to Santiago de Compostela has been a, a turning point in my life. It hasn't changed my entire life, but it it has allowed me to understand what was not going well in my life and what the core issue was that I was struggling with. And it became a key that I turned during that pilgrimage, but only years later the door was opening. And just in this, these past months, I feel like I'm still benefiting, I'm still finding the fruits of that pilgrimage. What, what The door that opened there is now wide open and it's it's super helpful and but if i hadn't had that experience of six weeks of walking to santiago i don't know if if i would be where i am right now in in terms of my walk in in life and my walk of in faith um and that was just just one example but you can go on any pilgrimage or for instance this year uh, there is the World Youth Days in, in um, World Youth Day in Portugal uh, in Fatima, uh, and the Pope will be there, and you know hundreds of thousands of young people will be there as well. For me, World Youth Day has been super influential um, because those are like highlights in my life of faith. It's to be there with so many other enthusiastic people to see the beauty. Uh, and, and, and the kind face of the church, you know, all these young people, they, they, they're so, it's so positive and it's such a good antidote against cynicism when you see the hope and, and the vitality of faith in these young lives. Uh, I will always cherish these, these experiences. And so I, I wish for you to also have those strong moments, these strong experiences. You can't have them every day. Even saints have had their moments of, of desert. And sometimes it was for years that they couldn't feel God. They didn't even know whether he was real or not or a figment of their imagination. But there, there were in the lives of all these saints moments of vocation, moments of realization that God was there. And those experiences can help you to hold on to God in times where you are scared. And everything is so overwhelming and so dark and so confusing. In those moments, I, I hope that you hear what Jesus told Peter and John and Jacob there that, that day. You know, whatever happens, don't be afraid. I'm here and I will be there in those times as well. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? So I'm reading another science fiction book written by what is now quickly becoming one of my favorite science fiction authors, Blake Crouch. Um, I read Upgrade. I read, read Dark Matter. I read his uh, Wayward Pines trilogy. Um, and now... I'm reading Recursion. 
And recursion is, um, in a certain way, similar to the books that he has already written. Um, but it's different enough to keep me on the edge of my seat. And it's another page-turner. It tells the story um, of a new technology that um, one of the main characters of the book, that in the beginning of the book, you've got two main characters, and but they both live in their world. They don't know each other. There seems to be no overlap. But later on in the story, of course, they will somehow meet. I won't spoil how and why. But so the... The, the female main character has developed a technology to download memories. And to so her mother is suffering from Alzheimer's disease, from dementia, or, or beginning dementia. And she's, she's very motivated by that medical condition of her mother to somehow help her mother to retain the memories that are now starting to f- to flow away and well, if you have ever been confronted with uh, uh, one of your loved ones that is suffering from dementia you know how traumatic that can be and how difficult also for the person him or herself who is who is going through this trauma of losing your memories because memories are what defines you i talked about that in this week's episode of the walk in case you're interested memories are so vital to your identity and, and memories are keepsakes of events that have made you who you are. If we lose those memories, we often forget who we are. That's exactly what dementia does to people. They, they, they stop remembering. They don't remember the people around them. They don't even remember who they are themselves. So you lose your identity if you lose your memories. And so that's, that becomes the motivator for this uh, woman to uh, develop a technology that can somehow stop that and somehow, you know, take hold of those memories. What the, they then discover, and this is all in the early beginnings of the book, that you can also upload those memories through a kind of chair. It's, it's a, a, a vaguely re- reminiscent of... Uh, Total Recall, if you remember that movie. Or actually, there are two movies. Only one that is worth your time. The one with Arnold Schwarzenegger. The remake is, um, eh. No, don't waste your time with that one. But um, but that, but then what they realize is if they re-upload a memory to the person that actually had that memory, it changes everything. It doesn't only change their experience. So, for instance, they, they can send someone back to the day that they made the wrong decision and their life was destroyed or someone died because of a, a, a mistake that they made. Once they send someone back to that point in time, to that if they re-upload that memory, they realize that that person can now make a different choice and that different choice changes the entire timeline, not just of that person, but everybody involved. And everyone else starts to have these, like, Double memories. It's it's it, on the one hand, it's what they the world in which they live now that is altered by this this transfer of memories. But then they also remember their old life before this intervention in in the memory system of that one person changed the world. But those memories become kind of vague and black and white, and and people start to to debate whether you know is what is real, what I remember, or what I. Remember, I remembered. And, and so it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing. And it, what I love about the book is it's not just a, a, like a, 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 
a, a, uh, how do you call that? Um, like a, a not a gizmo or a gadget, or it's it's not just this this plot device to tell a cool story, but there are also moments where it gets very philosophical, and it's like, okay, but if your memories change, are you still the same person? And you see people change so dramatically that they go from villain to to ally. Uh, and and it's still the same person. So I was I was reading this book. I'm thinking this would be a perfect script for a movie. You could just have one actor play all these different versions of him or herself, and that must be so much fun for an actor to play various incarnations almost of their character. It, 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 there are a lot of things in this book that also reminded me of of uh, the uh, this amazing movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. It's, that movie also uh, plays with the same themes and the, and the same philosophical questions about, you know, who are we and how, how much do our memories and our choices define who we are and what if we had made other choices and what if we could make other choices? Would that, you know, what kind of multiverse does that create? And, but then if there are multiple possibilities of my of how my life can branch out what is truly my life and is that worth more than any of the other branches what makes my life unique is my life unique those are really important questions and so and and of course you know what is a person if we exist in all these different multiverses you know is there still something like a soul does God love all these multiple versions of me or is there just me? And the rest is just my imagination and, and maybe also the desire that we sometimes have that well, what if we could go back in time and we could make different choices? What would my life be? So there's also sometimes regret behind that question and, and the, the whole multiverse storytelling that is so popular now maybe also in a certain way wishful thinking. A lot of people accuse Christians of... It's basically uh, practicing the art of wishful thinking. You, you just want there to be a God. But I'm thinking, well, I see in, in our current storytelling culture a lot of the same you know, tendencies. Like, we don't really like this world and this version of history, but we can just wish. And, and we will just create our own facts and we are create an old alternate, alternate reality. Like, they're, look at what's happening with the, the, the whole phenomenon of, of fake news and and conspiracy theories people are sometimes deliberately creating an alternate version of reality and if you're not part of that bubble you're, you're looking at that and you're like what i mean that looks like the multiverse right there here in this in in this reality but i think it it, it, it betrays a deep longing for for healing for a world that makes sense and it's not overwhelming and so it's an escape so what is more an escape all these you know conspiracy theories or 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 faith <laughs> i don't know it's uh, i would say there are good reasons to believe in god and uh, i think the christian religion has a lot of coherence that i don't see in those in those conspiracy theories and alternate realities that we tell each other. But, um, but I think 
what we all have in common is this that we always long for a world where we don't suffer and we don't have to be afraid and it's not overwhelming and it's not confusing but i think the real answer to this problem and to this wound this inner woundedness that we carry with us is not let's try to escape let's try to re redo things and this world is not good enough my life is not good enough i'm not good enough no it's to listen to jesus who tells us you know what i get it life is a cross but i'm here to carry it for you so don't be afraid i think that's to me that is the best answer to all that suffering and confusion that we're often confronted with. Beetroot. I don't like it. I'm trying to be kind. I shouldn't say I hate it, but I secretly do. I don't like beetroot i don't like red cabbage i don't like anything that's red now that i think of it i do like tomatoes but they're very expensive right now um, <laughs> every once in a while i get these the, the leftover veggies from my local supermarket and it's always a bit of a surprise what it is and so for uh, for weeks now i've had turnips i only knew turnips from from uh, uh what's that game on the on the switch uh the the island um, uh, Animal Crossing. In Animal Crossing, you have to pay off your debts growing turnips <laughs> for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I, I was like, okay, why turnips? What's so special? I didn't even know what a turnip was until I finally discovered them here in the supermarket. And I was like, oh, okay. What do you do with a thing like that? I remember the first time I had turnips in the, among the vegetables, I kept them in the fridge for like five months and they looked like carrots and I, I just didn't know what to do with these things. Like They didn't look like something you would voluntarily eat. I finally figured out what to do with turnips. You can just basically use them almost like potato. And I found some recipes for really, really good turnip soup that is... Um, so I'm, I'm totally, perfectly reconciled with turnips. But now, this week, there was a new surprise. In addition to turnips, I had beetroot. Like five of them. And they're like these... They don't look like anything. They're like on the outside, they have this kind of very dark, almost purple color. But they're covered in like earth. And it's like... It's, it doesn't look like... If I would find that in the ground, I wouldn't say like, oh, that looks delicious. Let's make a meal with that. No, I would think like, oh, this probably there's a reason that this was underground. Let's keep it there. <laughs> but, of course, I don't want to throw any food away. So now I'm looking for ideas what to do with beetroot. I know I have to cook it. And it's much better than the beetroot that I've eaten in the past, which usually was already kind of pre-cooked. And apparently that's not really nice if it's it's if it's pre cooked and it's uh, like in a, in a jar. It's usually the the taste is no longer there. So I'm, that's the first thing that I try to figure out: is this going to be better if it's fresh beetroot and and, and freshly cooked? Now I have one. I have two recipes for beetroot, but I I would really like to have more recipes. So please let me know if you know what to do with beetroot. But the first recipe was. A beetroot risotto. 
So you basically make a rosado, just like anything else, and then at the end, you throw in rasped beetroot. It has to be cooked, and then you put it in, let it cook with the risotto for the last five minutes until the the rice will, will absorb the red color. Um, you use red wine instead of white wine at the beginning of the process. And you know what? I was like, okay, I, I can see that at least it would look pretty. I don't know about the taste because beetroot can be very sweet. So I don't know if that works well with a risotto. Like I prefer more, more hearty risottos, but maybe... The combination of sweet and 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 salt will will work. We'll have to see. I know how to make a risotto, so that's pretty easy. The second one is an old recipe, and I forgot about this, but I have had this in the past, and it's beetroot with herring. But it's not the herring that you buy here in the stores that is fresh, and people really find it the, one of the most gruesome things that we do in the Netherlands. We eat raw herring. But it's not entirely... Chemically, it's not raw, but because it's been pickled. It's been put in, in salt, and the salt kind of does something to the herring that makes it edible, even if you don't cook it. So we love, I love fresh, raw herring, mm, but I grew up with it. But I could also see why people would, would think it's the most horrible thing ever. Um, but you also have a pickled herring that you can buy in jars, and it's... Um, it's herring with salt and vinegar. And it has absorbed the vinegar, so you can keep it forever. It's, it's, it's um, just... A, I used to have a lot of that in my students' time, and I would just put it on a piece of toast. But it's very sour. So what you can do is you cook the beetroot, you cut it into cubes, you add mayonnaise, um, uh, salt and pepper... To taste, and then you chop up the this this herring that has been pickled in small blocks, and you mix that in the, with the mayonnaise and with the beetroot, and that is actually a very nice spread on bread or on toast or you know even as a snack. So I'm going to try that out. I it was you know almost providentially was on the, the the pickled herring was on sale in my local supermarket today so i bought a jar and, and that's the first thing i'm gonna try out because i already had a different type of risotto earlier today but if you have more ideas of what to do with 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 beetroot and let me add i don't like the sweet sour stuff i actually don't really like my vegetables to be sweet so preferably something fresh or maybe in a salad. I don't know. I'm sure that some of you have some combinations for me to try. If you are a patron, um, there is the kitchen section on the Discord server. I, I welcome your ideas. We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Can't wait to see um, Apple's one more thing in, uh, in June during the WWDC. Um, I think VR and AR is kind of in a rut right now. Everybody has goggles, but there doesn't seem to be a market for it. And I think one of the main reasons for that is the way that Facebook has been approaching this whole world. They thought that the metaverse was going to be the big next thing. And they just 
kind of gave away their hardware, which was pretty good. It was based on Oculus uh, goggles, which were pretty revolutionary at the time. They were very cheap. They were selling that for... It was a huge success. They sold more Quest's uh, headsets than, than Nintendo sold GameCubes. So it is a, a commercial success. The thing is, Meta thought that the people would be using the Quest to enter the Metaverse. The thing is, the problem is, they didn't have a Metaverse when they started to to sell these 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 headsets and so what did people use it for for games beat saber and some other game i mean that's the whole problem there was no uh there was no market for the kind of stuff that for meta the company was going to be their long-term game and then they 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 kind of neglected the whole uh developers community um, and so it's a chicken and the egg. You know, there were a couple of very cool games, but of course the graphic possibilities of uh, standalone headsets are very limited. So it all looks a bit clunky and a bit f- like mobile games. You know, like the stuff you play on your on your phone. It didn't really add an extra layer of quality. It was just like I can play a the, the type of games that I have on my phone, but I can now play them uh, in an immersive way. But you know, it still remains a pretty primitive game compared to the stuff that we can play on our computers and on our, our, our real consoles. So, uh, but Meta, of course, knowing that they wanted people to shop online in the metaverse, they wanted people to hang out in the metaverse just as they would hang out on a Facebook page. They thought that that was going to be the future. So they created this like horizons um, world where you could walk around as an avatar without legs and apparently it was so bad that even the people that worked at meta never used it and now they're stuck they came out with the oculus pro or the the quest pro nobody buys the thing because they were trying to sell it to not to the gamers not to the casual users but to the professional industry but it wasn't good enough so nobody bought the thing it was super expensive like 1500 bucks they just discounted the 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 headset to, uh, and now they lowered the price to 9.99 so they 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 took one third of the price in in a few months time that's how desperate they are there's going to be a quest 3 and there's going to be quest 4 that's going to be more affordable but they've already announced that the quest 3 is going to be more expensive than the quest 2 and gaming wise nothing moves nothing changes there are no developers so what are they selling these headsets for i think that meta should refocus on games because that may not be your end game no pun intended but it is what's selling your headsets is making people comfortable with the whole idea of having virtual reality as part of your life even if it's just for entertainment it makes them at ease in that world and then you can start developing stuff and once it's good enough You've lowered the threshold through games enough for people to maybe go watch it. But now they make the same mistake that, that Microsoft made when they introduced the Xbox One. The Xbox 360 was a fantastic game, a gaming console. And then they, they introduced the Xbox One and they said, oh, it's not a gaming console. No, it's your hub. This is for watching TV. It's for all sorts of other things. And then the gamers were like, 
oh, well, if it's not for games, I'll just buy myself a PlayStation 4. And that's what everybody did. This is how Microsoft uh, incurred, at the beginning, huge losses. Because everybody bought a PlayStation 4, a device that was just focused on gaming. Nobody cared for that, you know, Xbox One. Why would I need that? Because it, what, what does it even do that I can't do it anywhere else? And so they tried to force that idea that they had of a long, like the long game that they wanted to play. They forced it onto customers without really having a good proposal. And, and I think that Facebook is doing the same thing. So Meta is, I think, in dire straits. And I think that Apple is going to be very important. That AR, VR headset had better be better than anything that Meta has ever put on the market. If it's not, and this will go by, and this will be a thing of the past. But if there's one company that can make this work, I think it's Apple. So the stakes are really high. This is about the future of VR and AR technology. And it's not about the size of the headset. It's about why should I care? And with the Quest, I'm an, I'm an enthusiast. So I, I, I don't mind. But for just regular consumers, you need to convince them that it's worth their money, especially if these headsets are expensive. But you need to add something to their lives with these headsets. And I, I think that's where Meta is uh, completely missing the boat just as they missed the boat on almost everything right now. Look at what they're doing with Instagram. They're also introducing like paid registration. So you can also get like the blue, uh, like I'm paying for this. And then they promise that they people will see your content as long as you're paying. It's the same thing that Elon Musk is doing with Twitter. It's never going to fly. Everybody's going to flock to other, other content. I don't want to see stuff of people in my timeline just because they paid my uh, meta so i could see it i want and as a creator i want my stuff to to go viral because it's good not because i pay for it this is why i stopped caring for facebook a long time ago every time i post something on facebook i get these nudges like oh but if you pay us uh, here here is 10 bucks we give it for free so you your post can get more traction I don't care. The moment I start paying, they will ask me for more money. It's like a mafia uh, t- type of, uh, of construction. That's just not how it works. Anyway, final thing. I've been playing around with something free, Plex. There is, a, of course, a subscription. You can, but, but for all, most of the functionality, you can get it for free. Uh, Plex is a media server. I use it to watch, for instance, stuff that I've stored on my computer upstairs, on my Mac, and I can watch it here on TV because these apps talk to each other, and my computer, my Mac, works as a server of that, of that content. Now, most of that is video content, but I've recently discovered you can also use Plex as a depository for audiobooks. Now, why would I do that? Because I already have some Audible books. I don't have a subscription to Audible, um, but I have Storytel, and um, I have basically an unlimited library of audiobooks to listen to, and I do that all the time. But... I sometimes buy audiobooks, for instance, on on Humble Bundle. Humble Bundle is a like a a, a, a software distributor uh, or a reseller, basically, and they give a percentage of what you pay uh, to charity. So, for instance, they now have a big bundle of cool games, and you buy it, and all that money goes to uh, the victims of the of the earthquakes in in Syria and Turkey. So, uh, for 
very often, well, not often, but regularly, they will have audiobooks. Like, for instance, the entire radio plays of Star Wars, which is huge, like hours and hours and hours of Star Wars audio. Um, I bought it on the humble with the Humble Bundle, but how am I going to listen to it? My Audible app doesn't play it. My uh, Storytel software doesn't play it. And... Of course, I can play it in a music player, but it's not as good because it doesn't remember where I am. It doesn't have like a nice library. Well, this is where I found this cool app that works in conjunction with Plex, and it's called Prologue. It's available only for um, iOS. Uh, there must be similar apps on Android as well. But it, it, it requires a little bit of fiddling with how you save your audiobook files, and not every audiobook file will immediately work. It's once you understand how to archive your stuff, um, it works flawlessly. And, and so now I have this free audio player prologue. I, you can pay to unlock a few more things, um, and it's like a few bucks, so I'll probably do that. But now I can play all the other audiobooks that I've ever bought, but I don't have like a, a good app to play it with and and prologue feels just like audible and just like like storytell and it opens up this whole treasure trove of audiobooks that i even forgotten about because i just didn't want to sit in front of my computer to play uh, every mp3 just by clicking on it you know that, that you need something more elegant and prologue to me is exactly what i was looking for and with that, ladies and gentlemen, we've come to the end of yet another episode of The Break. By the way, good news for those of you that are not fans of this slow piano music. I found the original big band ending tune, which I will soon introduce. I'm just waiting for ten more patrons. And once we reach that threshold of ten new patrons, I will change this slow piano music back to the original big band music that you all love. Yes, I know. It's blackmail. <laughs> and I'm just kidding. <laughs> but seriously, if you can, become a patron. <laughs> Time to wrap things up with the thought of the day. And today it's from St. Teresa of Avila. That was a strong woman. I'm recording this on International Women's Day. If you want to have one example of a strong woman in the Catholic Church and someone who... I think, became a church doctor for very good reasons. It's St. Teresa of Avila. Read her the story of her life. It's amazing. This is what she said about some people in the Catholic faith. It's almost a prayer. From silly devotions and sour-faced saints, good Lord, deliver us. <laughs> there you have it. Have a wonderful week. I will talk soon. God bless.